Our scripture on this Kirken Sunday comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Selected verses from the first and third chapters. Friends, let us listen now for a word from God. Paul writes to the church saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This righteousness, Paul continues, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. Friends, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit now. Send your spirit that it would dwell amongst us, that it would walk with us, that it would point our faces towards the light once more of your love. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here together in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is said that Martin Luther, the great 16th century German Catholic monk turned reformer, had his breakthrough, his grand spiritual awakening while reading the book of Psalms, but also and especially so while reading Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Specifically these verses, these verses we have just heard read from the first and the third chapters of that letter, are said to have formed the foundation, to have, have led to the theological underpinning of Luther's newfound understanding of justification that is of being made right in God's sight 
not by works or human action, as was the dogma of Luther's day. If you reach back in your knowledge of European history, you might remember those chapters on indulgences, the things that really lit Luther up. This notion that that humans are capable of literally buying or selling God's favor. No, for Luther, his breakthrough was this, this new understanding of justification being made right in God's sight, not by works, but by grace through faith. Luther, of course, would go on to influence others, including another Catholic priest, this time a Frenchman named John Calvin. And Calvin, in turn, would go on to influence others, including yet another Catholic priest, this time a Scot named John Knox. And Knox would go on to fuel a movement, a movement that would eventually yield this funny new group of believers called Presbyterians. You know, we've been doing this Discover SSPC class here for the last two weeks on Zoom, gathering with new members and friends and visitors to our church who are all curious to know a little bit more about our community of faith. But essentially, those classes boil down to an attempt to answer that question, what does it mean to be Presbyterian? Right? If you bump into someone at the store and they ask you where you go to church and you say, well, I go to St. Simon's Presbyterian Church, and they say, what does that even mean? Who are those Presbyterians? What, what does it mean to be Presbyterian? Right? We explore in this class that there are a number of ways to answer that question. On the one hand, being Presbyterian has a little to do with how we govern ourselves. We govern ourselves by elected elders, a word that itself is derived from the Greek word presbyteros, presbyter, Presbyterian. Right? We're not Baptist, where Everyone gets a vote on the color of the carpet, but neither are we Anglican, where we vest certain powers and authority in a single individual. We're people of the middle way. You can also answer that question by talking a little bit about how we worship. Presbyterians tend not to be too flashy today withstanding, of course. We tend to value things that are simple and straightforward. Maybe you answer it, though, with today. Presbyterians love bagpipes. We're we're a tradition that traces its roots back to a specific place, this place called Scotland. There's this video I always show on the first session of that class, though, by a website called Theocademy. They put together some really good resources, both for new members, but also for officers and for confirmands and for others. There's this one video where they they boil down the answer to that question, what does it mean to be Presbyterian, to a single word. They say Presbyterians are a people of grace. Grace. Right? They have this image of the alphabet. They say, imagine all the letters of the alphabet, A to Z. You always start with A. It doesn't mean that B through Z are not important. You just start with A. In the same way, Presbyterians dump out all the words of our theological alphabet and we arrange them in such a way that we always start with grace. 
It doesn't mean that the other words are not important. It just means we start with grace. Presbyterians believe that in Jesus Christ, we have met a God who is for us, who is with us, who even now through the work of the Holy Spirit is among us. We believe that in Jesus Christ, we have met a God who justifies us, who makes us right, not through anything we do, but rather by grace. This freely given gift that is is utterly and wholly undeserved and unearned. What does it mean to be Presbyterian? We are a people of grace. A friend of mine turned me on to a song this past summer by Vince Gill. It's called uh, Go Rest Up on the Mountain, High Up on the Mountain. Somehow I hadn't come across this song. I imagine a lot of people here and where you are have heard this song. What's amazing about this song, though, is if you go dig a little bit into the history of how Vince Gill wrote it, he started the song in the late 80s following the death of his friend and fellow country music star Keith Whitley, someone who lived a hard life and essentially ended up drinking himself to death. Gill was so torn up by this loss that he he couldn't finish the song after he began. So he put it away in a drawer. And it sat there for four years until the early 90s when Vince Gill's brother, who also lived a hard life, died quite unexpectedly of a heart attack at a young age. And as part of his grieving, Vince Gill pulled that song that he had begun four years earlier back out of the drawer and he finished it. I know your life on earth was troubled, it begins. And only you could know the pain. You weren't afraid to face the devil. You were no stranger to the rain. I know your life on earth was troubled. And then the chorus, go rest high up on that mountain. Son, your work on earth is done. Go to heaven a shouting. Love for the Father and for the Son. Yeah, I don't know if Vince Gill's Presbyterian. I know he's married to a Presbyterian, Amy Grant. But this song, the more I've listened to it, has become this, this anthem of sorts. An anthem of God's grace for people who do not deserve it. Not just those people in Gill's life, but people who do not deserve it. Right? It's a song where Vince Gill seems to dump out all the letters of life onto the table and rearranges them until the first letter is grace. It's the song that, that's hard to listen to and not have something stir stir within you. In fact, there's this this amazing moment. You can find it on YouTube from George Jones, yet another country music legend, from his funeral in 2013 at the Grand Old Opry. This incredible moment where Vince Gill and Patti Loveless come out on stage and they begin singing this song, Go Rest High Up on the Mountain. And about a minute or two into the song, Vince Gill just loses it. 
he just starts weeping on stage. And Patty is doing her best to, to carry him through this song. And there's this, this moment where the camera is recording from sort of behind Vince and Patty Loveless there on stage. And so you see the audience out beyond. And in the front row is Garth Brooks. And as Vince Gill is losing it on stage, you see Garth Brooks slowly rise to his feet and silently just stand there. And within five seconds, the entire Opry is silently standing on their feet. And you have this distinct sense watching this that yes, they're standing there to show solidarity for their friend who is grieving there on stage. But there's also this sense that that they're standing because they recognize, they recognize that the truth being proclaimed in that song, the gospel of God's grace, is a truth for them as well. It's as if they're standing because something has stirred within them. That this anthem of grace, it's not just for this man whose life they're honoring in that moment, another person who lived a hard life, but it's true for them. Each and every one in that auditorium, each and every person in the world. You know, I can't help but think that part of the reason we love Kirkin. Part of the reason we love the pipes, we love the pomp and circumstance of this day in our church every year. Part of the reason I can't help but thinking we like it, we love it, is because it brings us to our feet. I don't care if you swear that bagpipes are the harshest instrument you have ever heard in your life. I dare you to listen as art will play amazing grace in a few minutes and not feel something stir within you. You can't listen to pipes on a day like this, play a song like that and not pause for a moment and ponder the mystery, ponder the, the depth, the width, the, the height, the sheer volume, pun intended, of God's love in Jesus Christ, right? You can't help but feel that stirring. It's the same stirring that Paul felt all those years ago as he penned these verses. It's the same stirring that Luther felt as he read them and had his breakthrough, his awakening. It's the same stirring that Calvin and Knox and all the others on down the line have felt. It's the stirring that led to those breakthroughs that not only changed lives, but changed the world. Stirring that brings us all to our feet. The challenge for us, though, the challenge is to then remain standing. You know, I read not long ago about Holy Trinity Church in St. Andrews, Scotland. I've been to St. Andrews, but never to this church. Maybe some of you have. This church is 600 years old. 
It has a split chancel in this pulpit that's a mile high in the sky. If you've ever been to the cathedral in Geneva where Calvin preached and ministered, pulpit, a mile in the sky, independent Presbyterian in Savannah, mile in the sky. The only way to get into this pulpit at Holy Trinity Church is this narrow staircase that winds its way up. And what I read was about how when you take the final turn into the pulpit there in that church, etched into the stone where only the preacher can see, are words from John 12. Sir, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. You see, Kirkin today, it reminds us of who we are. We are a people with a tradition, a tradition that goes back centuries, but also a tradition that is rooted in a specific place. It reminds us of who we are, but Kirkin also reminds us of who we are called to be. Because if we are a people of grace, then we are called to be a people who stand a people who live lives that quietly witness to that grace. We are called to help others see Jesus. We're called to that work not because we think that it's going to earn us that place high up on the mountain, but rather because we have come to know what Luther noticed and came to know in these verses from Romans. We are called to be those people not because it will earn us that place, but rather because we know that place is already secure. You know, I keep seeing that scene from George Jones' funeral, and I begin to wonder to myself, how many people are there here How many people are there out there who are mourning on the stage of life? Who are struggling, reeling to just get through the song? How many people are there who are grieving the death of dreams? Who are grieving possibilities that never were, times gone by, loved ones lost. How many people are there right here today who are feeling hopeless? Who are waiting for just one person to stand and to show them the face of genuine compassion? Kindness, caring, love. How many people, I wonder? Friends, today, on Kirkin Sunday, and what a blessing it is. Today we are reminded of who we are, yes. But we are also reminded of who we are called to be. Friends, as a people of grace, may we be people who show the world 
Jesus, who share that grace with each and every person we encounter along the way, this journey we call life. May it be so. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.